You're listening to the Unlocking Africa podcast. We're a PR agency and we specialize in the African tech space. Jason had raised, I think, $3 million from Tiger Global, asked me to quit my job and join Morocco, and I did. I always thought it would just be me as a freelancer, and now there are 27 of us. Most of the clients that we work with are tech-focused. Most of them, I would say, have probably raised some VC money, but not all of them have. Some have kind of just grown organically. I definitely think that the rest of the world is a little bit more open to discussing business and technology and innovation in Africa. Stay tuned as we bring you inspiring people who are unlocking Africa's economic potential. You're listening to the Unlocking Africa podcast with your host, Tessa Adamu. Welcome to the Unlocking Africa podcast, where we find inspirational people who are doing inspirational things to unlock Africa's economic potential. Today, we have another special guest. We have Jessica Hope, who is founder and CEO of Wimbart, which is a public relations company with a heavy focus on Africa and emerging markets. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the podcast, Jessica. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Tessa. It's a pleasure to be on. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast and I'm looking forward to today's conversation. Before we get started, please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about Jessica Hope. Wow. Uh, I'm not sure how much there is to say. I, my name is Jessica Hope. I am a founder of Wimbart, as you've already mentioned. We're a PR agency and we specialize in the African tech space. Uh, me, I am a failed journalist. After university in Manchester, I had wanted to be a journalist. Uh, I had done a lot of work, um, you know, freelance and work experience, working for various publications at university and straight after university as well. The first couple of magazines that I worked on, they didn't go so well. So I, oh. like a lot of PR people, I think I, I fell into PR from journalism because I guess the two have very similar skills. Um, and I have since been working in PR for, I think, 15 or 16 years. Brilliant. If we can talk a bit more about the company, can you tell us a bit more about Wimbart, what it does and what your ambitions are for the future? Sure. So we basically, I guess, in a lot of ways, a classic public relations agency. So we handle media and brand for a lot of our clients. Most of them are in Africa, but we work with some international brands as well. Uh, Wimbart started eight and a bit years ago when I was seven months pregnant. I started the company from my kitchen table. I had just left my job at Iroco which was a Nollywood platform, online platform, and kind of one of the first big I guess, tech and entertainment platforms for the continent. I'd actually been to university with Jason and Jocko, the CEO. I had been working as head of press at the Jewish Museum in London. Jason had raised, uh, I think, $3 million from Tiger Global, asked me to quit my job and join Morocco. And I did. And the rest is history. And the rest is history. <laughs> interestingly, whilst I was there, I worked on the kind of tech and business and corporate side of Morocco, but I also did a lot of work in Nollywood. So I would often travel with Nollywood stars and do kind of consumer PR and brand awareness for Morocco. So I was global head of communications at Morocco for three and a half years before Jason kicked me out of the company in a good way. Uh, he, <laughs> had, he had identified an opportunity for a PR agency to help support other tech companies. 
And he suggested I go it alone. And Iroko was my first client. And yeah, I guess, funnily enough, then the rest is history. I always thought it would just be me as a freelancer. And now there are 26, 27 of us. Amazing. So it just goes to show, never say never. Oh, definitely not. Definitely not. Amazing. That's an unbelievable achievement. So you've detailed in terms of Winbar started eight years ago from your job at Iroko and working with Nollywood stars. So could you give us a bit more insight into, I guess, the type of clients that you are working with in Africa? Yeah, so most of the clients that we work with are tech-focused Most of them, I would say, have probably raised some VC money, but not all of them have. Some have kind of just grown organically. We work with companies across the continent. Originally, I guess through my original networks, most of our clients came from Nigeria, but we've grown with a lot of our clients as well. So they're now based in Nigeria, Kenya, Rwanda, Uganda. Um, We work with companies in Morocco and Egypt, as well as in South Africa, Togo, We've done some work in Cote d'Ivoire as well. And they cover a number of sectors. So it could be fintech, it could be agri-tech. We work with some other banking platforms as well. All sorts, really. It's very much B2B focused. So you mentioned uh, most of your clients are tech focused and have raised money and are spread across the continent. Has this always been the case? Has the type of client you work with in Africa evolved during your time working on the continent? I wouldn't say evolved necessarily. We've always been very narrow and deep when it comes to tech and business, I would say, and corporate. However, I guess it's more the uh, geographical share has been part of the Wimbar evolution. We feel that we've worked with a lot of technology companies. At last count, it was over 110 over the last few years. So it's been a lot. But funnily enough, I still feel that we haven't even really scratched the surface and there's many more that we could work with as well. Um, I'm very much a fan of, you know, doing one thing really, really, really well before kind of expanding too quickly as well. So I'd like us to continue in the same vein with a view to seeing what's next and other types of communications that we can support our companies and our startups with as well. Brilliant. So you mentioned the geographical share of your clients, I guess, has changed and you'd feel like you haven't quite scratched the surface when it comes to working with companies on the continent with regards to PR and comms. So I guess with that in mind, have you seen a change in terms of how PR and comms is taking shape or in terms of how it is received on the continent during your time working there? Yeah, I think there has been. I think there's a greater appreciation for PR and communications now, not just in terms of opening doors to get in front of global investors, but also in the talent war in terms of attracting amazing talent, whether or not it's from the continent or globally as well. I think that's really important. Uh, And I think last year in particular, but also going forward, there's a real appreciation of the need for preparing for crisis communications. The tech ecosystem in Africa is maturing. And with that, you know, there's lots of good things that comes with that. But there's also potential risk mitigation in terms of managing a public brand that startups are having to look at and consider and invest in as well. I guess there is a greater appreciation of PR and comms on the continent in terms of the current status. We're seeing a a lot of fluctuation and movements happening on the continent. So with regards to the current, I know this is a very open or broad question, but what do you believe is the current state of PR and comms in Africa, probably specifically looking in the startup or the tech space? 
It's growing. I think it's still definitely growing. Um, it also depends on the quality of media outlets as well. You know, um, PRs are very much reliant, I think, on not just working and collaborating with interesting companies, with dynamic CEOs and, you know, help to tell those stories, etc., but also being able to work with solid media base uh, and have a variety of outlets to pitch to as well. I can see that the media space has grown and is growing on the continent as well to complement the global outlets and the global names that we all recognize. So, you know, the Bloombergs, the BBCs, the CNNs. There's also some really fabulous tech and business focused platforms in Africa as well. So I would say Tech Cabal, for example, does some incredible investigative work and um, really starting to do deep dives into some storytelling and different aspects of the tech ecosystem as well. So not just fundraise announcements, but some really, really solid journalism. And there are more and more outlets growing as well that are doing longer format content as well. Um, you've got TechPoint, you've got WeTracker, you know, Quartz Africa used to do, and actually can continue to do some really useful reporting as well. You have new outlets as well, like um, Rest of World and Semaphore, that also really focus on the African business space as well. So I think having a more mature media and more media outlets covering Africa and African tech is helpful. Awesome. Awesome. For me, it's clear that you guys at Wimbart are doing an amazing job on the continent. So I guess for our listeners out there, what are some of the advantages or value that your service brings to people that you work with? Oh, good question. (laughs) (laughs) So we help open new pathways, I think, for a lot of companies by helping them with their media messaging, promoting them in terms of connecting them and, you know, getting them written about or spoken about in media outlets, helping to spread the word, which then opens doors to as a uh, strategic reasons why people might consider press. If they're looking for fundraising, you know, they want to get in front of VCs. If they're looking to hire some talent, they need to be making sure that potential talent is reading about them and hearing about them as well. Um, So those are some of the areas that I think are really, really important. That's the kind of value that we add. And I think Wimbar is able to especially help with these brands curating their corporate message as well, um, helping them to talk about themselves, get in front of new audiences as well. And we, we have done a lot of work, you know, helping to mitigate risk and with crisis communications. And that's additional value that we add. Um, so that's the communication side. But Wimbart's also kind of part of the wider technology community in Africa. So we connect a lot of people. So we work with a lot of VCs. So we sometimes connect startups with VCs or we introduce them to people or we provide support in terms of we have something called Wimbart Office Hours where we help really, really early stage companies with the basics of PR and communications. So for me, that's some of the value that Wimbart adds. Fantastic. So you detailed how you, I guess, the value is helping to open new doors, pathways, present opportunities for companies or clients to be talked about and noticed by investors or VCs. Would it be possible to share some of your most, I guess, notable success stories where a successful PR or comm strategy has helped a client position themselves as a leader in their space? I think there's been a few over the years. I would say that the work that we did with Andela, for example, helped them in the early days, especially when they were moving into different territories as well. Uh, The same with Kobo 360, funnily enough. Kobo and Andela both started in Nigeria, but they expanded across the continent. So I think that the PR work we did with them was able to position them as leaders in their space, but also help them to attract talent and become pan-African brands as well. So if they were looking to 
open in Uganda, we would do press in Uganda, for example, to kind of engage with local media. So I think Andela and Kobo 360 are two of the kind of success stories of us having really long-term relationships with them as well. I think, funnily enough, with Andela, a success story is difficult when you're talking about potential crisis communications, but we also handled the situation when Andela had to sadly go fully remote and make redundancies in order to adjust their business model. And I would say that we handled that really well and, again, worked with the ecosystem, worked really well with the C-suite in order to deliver a pretty solid communications campaign around that too. So what do you believe is the correlation between positive PR and comms and investment flows into, say, a company or a country? I think you need to think about the sort of broader brand as well. And I think especially, I guess, international investors, Yes, they might not know a huge amount about the actual workings of Nigeria or Kenya or Tanzania or wherever as well. So I think it's important to talk about some of the exciting opportunities that exist uh, and the companies that are operating and scaling on the continent as well. I think that's really important. But even things like we've had situations before where investors have been looking at startups, I guess, some of the bills that they're putting forward. And sometimes international investors can't understand why a startup needs to budget for a generator. Yes. Because they can't imagine not having um, 24-7 electricity. <laughs> yes. So it's those types of things that I think we need through our storytelling, we need to kind of explain and talk about the business landscape and the operating landscapes for investors to better understand where they're going to be channeling their money as well. And I think that it needs to be authentic representation too. Awesome, awesome. So you mentioned a key point there in terms of international investors might not know or understand about companies or the conditions underground that these startups operate in. So if you look at it, I guess, from a international perspective, I know you guys are based in the UK, you look within Africa, so a lot of your work is Africa-focused. But looking at it in terms of PR and communications about Africa from outside Africa, how has that changed since you've been involved in this space? Yeah, great question. I definitely think that the rest of the world is a little bit more open to discussing business and technology and innovation in Africa, rather than just the sort of old fashioned tropes around, you know, poverty and corruption and, you know, that sort of with looking at Africa with a charity lens. And certainly I think, you know, early days when I was pitching stories to Silicon Valley based journalists, I mean, this was a decade now. Yes. You know, I do remember having one response from a journalist saying, I'm not going to write about a Nigerian internet fraudster. (laughs) Wow. literally was that blatant in his response. (laughs) Um, I was quite shocked, but I think it made me more bullish to um, tell the story of what, say, Jason in Morocco was doing and actually the amazing, interesting uh, and scaling company he was building as well. So that's changed. I would be very surprised if a journalist was that blatant now in a pitch. Um, And of course, I think, you know, journalists in the US are always going to be concerned about, you know, well, where's the kind of crossover? Why would their audience care about an African tech company, for example? So I think it's being able to like make those connections, be able to help with the storytelling, um, find interesting stories and pitching interesting stories as well. But yeah, I think you definitely see more stories in global outlets as well. And again, let's take the case of TechCrunch, for example. Three or four years ago, TechCrunch had one writer, and I think he was commissioned to write two, maximum three stories a month on oh. Africa. 
and then now you have a West Africa-based writer for TechCrunch. You have an East Africa-based writer. And there are, you know, maybe sometimes two or three stories a day. So that's shown how much things have changed in terms of international media covering Africa and being interested in the amazing stories and case studies coming out of the continent. Thank you for that, Jessica. So you mentioned that things have changed. There are more stories and I guess a more positive perception about Africa. Is it still challenging to pitch stories about Africa or has your job, I wouldn't say, become easier? Or is it a lot more simple in terms of getting the new stories out there? I wouldn't say simple necessarily, but it's not as hard. I think we don't have to jump over as many hoops these days. You know, going back to what I mentioned before about famine, war, poverty, those really outdated sort of visuals that the West is used to seeing being bombarded with visually when it comes to Africa. It's not like these international publications are writing about African stories or African tech or business stories every single day, but they're definitely writing about them more frequently. Um, I would say that some of the challenges are still international. Western journalists still want to have a rags to riches story. Yeah. So, you know, they want to write about someone who kind of grew up in a slum and then became a billionaire. Um, (laughs) It's that kind of very extreme framing um, of stories. And it's frustrating, but I don't think it's as bad as what it used to be. And I think that what we're trying to do with the storytelling that we do with the companies that we work with, just telling the business story and the impact and impact, not again in a charity way and the fact that these companies are building ecosystems, they're investing in talent, they're employing people, they're growing. And those are really important impact metrics as well. So it's definitely getting easier, but I wouldn't say it's simple. I mean, would you say it's less challenging due to their interest in Africa or because they trust your judgment and you've built a relationship with these key media outlets? I think probably a little bit of both. I think the fact that we've been able to deliver really interesting stories and CEOs or or business leaders who were able to give a lot of context and frame the African narrative in a very, very interesting way, very engaging way has definitely been helpful. Absolutely. But I think also because there has been a track record of some really interesting companies that have built great products and and scaled and, you know, some of them have exited as well. You know, when Paystack exited to Stripe, again, that really showed that, hey, here's a company that was just doing some really impressive things in fintech, (laughs) bought by one of the biggest fintech platforms in the world. So I think more of those stories will help as well. I guess going back to the work you've been doing over the last eight years, you've managed to feature a lot of your clients in some of the world's largest outlets and publications. How long has it taken you to establish this strong and reputable network and reputation in the industry? Was it like a breaking point or is it an ongoing journey? I think it's an ongoing journey. I think I was fortunate with my work at Iroco that I'd built a sort of a brand and journalists kind of knew that they would get good stories from me, access to really interesting stories and narratives. And as PR professionals, we would send them information in a timely way. Yes. But I think also you can't really rest on your laurels as well because, you know, new journalists are entering the market all the time. So you have to keep building those relationships. It's not just a case of, well, I met a journalist 10 years ago. I don't need to put any more effort in. You always need to like build your own network and the network will continue to evolve as well. And and not even just with journalists, I would say with businesses and, yes. and startups as well. You know, I would probably 
hazard a guess that people would think I'm a bit old school um, and have been around for a while now. So yes, I would know some of the early stage founders, but you know what happens when those founders exit and move on. So it's important for me and my business as well to also be open and accessible to and engaged with new talent coming through. At the beginning of our conversation, we mentioned that a lot of your clients are in the tech and startup space. Do you have plans to venture outside of that space? Or are you planning to narrow down and get deeper into the tech and startup space? I think it completely depends on what comes our way. It would be peculiar for Wimbart to all of a sudden go into, say, consumer PR or fashion PR because it's not an yes. area we have that much expertise. Again, I'm always very focused on making sure we do a really good job uh, and then our reputation precedes us and that's our new business pipeline. Uh, so that's really important to us. It would also be difficult for us to say no to the work coming to us now so we could then branch out into something else or into new territories. I think probably some of the things that we'll look at going forward will be working with more international brands who are looking to break into the Africa space uh, and kind of build a corporate brand on the continent. So that'll be an area that we look to grow, but it would likely still be either tech, corporate or business to business type businesses, I think for now. Um, but we're certainly looking at other products and services that Wimbark can build and grow to complement the work that we do. Because so, we, we don't just want to do the same thing over and over again. It's important for us to evolve as well. Awesome. We've discussed that a lot of your clients are in the tech and startup space and also the range of services that you offer at Wimbart. With the recent developments we've seen with Silicon Valley Bank, I just wanted to get your PR perspective in terms of a situation like that, which I guess would fall underneath the crisis management <laughs> category. What type of PR and comm support would be required to manage effectively a situation such as this? Yes, a situation like that, I think it's round the clock communication support because that story just changed and evolved very, very, very quickly. Yes. Um, so in situations like that, you know, the CEO needs to be talking to legal, they need to be talking to the comms people uh, and stakeholders um, co constantly. <laughs> um, like there's no like eight hours sleep that night or there's no kind of nine to five. So I think crisis comms should come before a crisis actually happens. Yes. So really, really solid crisis communications would be the communications team connecting with all of the different departments beforehand and saying to department leads, what does risk look like? And then how can we mitigate against it? What communications plans can we put in place if the worst happens? And I think with the crisis communications, it's scenario planning. What's the worst that could happen? Preparing statements, um, several statements, knowing who all the stakeholders are, knowing you know the processes in terms of sign-off, in terms of who do you speak to, speaking to legal. Have you got people's WhatsApp numbers if you can't get them on email? Really basic things like that, um, as well as the kind of more strategic um, communications that are required to. So I think in these situations, you know, you need to, everyone to understand what an emergency looks like and, and how you deal with it as well. And ensuring that there's no kind of communications vacuum too, because that's when people start speculating. Yes, yes. You've given us great insights into crisis comms and mitigation plans required. Without naming any names, have you had to provide this type of support in the past week to any of your clients? Not in the past week, actually. Um, we've been fortunate there. <laughs> okay. Uh, but we have. So, um, you know, obviously we've checked in with some of our clients, but I think funnily enough, um, 
the Silicon Valley Bank seems to not have been uh, working with that many African technology companies. Okay. But I think you still have to look at the almost, you know, the kind of global supply chain yes. of how everyone's linked as well. So I'm, I'm, I have a feeling some companies will have been affected, uh, but probably not as severely as those who are based in the US. Um, but some African technology companies might feel it a little bit further down the line, especially if some of the US companies that they're working with can't access their funds and, you know, they need to pay bills or anything like that or, you know, payroll or something. So I don't think the fallout has been as extreme in Africa and with our clients. Thank you for that, Jessica. Early on, we mentioned in terms of PR and communication is growing within Africa, within a range of sectors, and also the spread of your clients across different African markets. So with that in mind, which markets are you seeing the most growth in terms of a culture that values or understands the value of PR and comms? I think all the markets that we're working in, actually, they understand the media markets that they need to operate in as well. You know, so you can see the nuances between, say, North Africa. They a lot of the companies there tend to announce a fundraise announcement and then kind of go back to building in stealth. Uh, Nigeria, I think, especially in the fintech space, you know, the founders, the CEOs are more likely to invest in long term PR as well because they're you know trying to build trust. Also, it's a, it's a crowded market as well. So they're trying to make sure that they define their USPs um, and, you know, get in front of, of new potential clients or partners as well. So I think that there isn't a broader appreciation and it's growing, but we definitely see that there's nuances in different markets as well. Fantastic. So you've detailed the nuances, the patterns and trends that you see in different African markets. So keeping with trends, what trends within the PR and comms space in Africa are you seeing that you're currently excited about? So a lot of the day-to-day work, especially last year, was fundraise announcements. That's, I guess, I don't know if it's a trend, but it's something that was, you know, busy and regular, definitely. Um, I would like to see a trend continue of more acquisition type stories. I think that would show a sort of a maturing market as well. That would be an interesting trend. Uh, And then obviously expansion, you know, companies that might maybe start in Nigeria will then look to open up in Kenya and vice versa as well. So I think that, you know, expansion stories and being able to sort of white label products or scale them across the continent uh, to other African markets as well is really, really interesting. Brilliant. Thank you for that, Jessica. So you've detailed some of the trends that you're currently excited about and some of the trends that you look forward to seeing. So if we can keep on that theme in terms of looking forward to the future, where do you see Africa? I know this is a very broad question, but where do you see Africa in five years time from the perspective of embracing and leveraging PR and comms to its advantage? Yeah, I think it will be more of the same. I think people will understand the need for PR to support different areas of their businesses. So that's going to be critical. Uh, I definitely see it as a massive growing market as well. Yes. So I think, um, yeah, especially when we see more kind of mergers, acquisitions, uh, more fundraisers, and sadly, there will be more crisis comms required as well. But that's the same with any yes. um, technology ecosystem. That's not unique to Africa at all. Um, so yeah, I think it's just going to kind of grow exponentially. It's such an interesting and busy market. Uh, and you know, the line will not be straight as with, all, <laughs> yeah, no. as, as with all markets, there'll be bumps. You know, we are now seeing a bump in the line at the moment, uh, because, you know, you look at some of the really big global technology companies that have laid off 
thousands of people last year, there is going to be a knock-on effect in the African market. But I, you know, I, like everyone else, hope that it will just be a relatively short period. But I think also these situations does help the market course correct and I guess forces people to focus on the fundamentals of business building as well. Brilliant. Thank you for sharing that. If we look closer to home, where do you see yourself and Wimbart in five years' time? Oh, um, I would like us to still be known for really leading in the African technology PR space. I would love us to be, as I mentioned earlier, delivering more products and services. So do we need to help clients with, say, investor communications, for example? Like, How are they communicating with their investors and their stakeholders? That might be yes. something we'd like to look at. Um, you know, does Wimbart start actually investing in some of the startups as well? You know, we, we have amazing access to deal flow. Um, do we have our own fund, for example, where we start sort of writing small checks and supporting the ecosystem in that way as well? Uh, how do we grow our Wimbar Office Hours product? Do do we, for example, start actually building, you know, a kind of a product or a service where we start training other PR people as well? Or, you know, there's all sorts of opportunities. I think that I'm quite excited about it. And for me, it's a case of making sure we have an amazing team in place so I can then concentrate on building out the company and helping us reach our full potential. But at the same time, not at the expense of our current day-to-day work and what we're known for as well. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. I'm sure you'll achieve all of that much more. Looking forward to seeing what the next five years brings considering what you've achieved in the last eight, which has been phenomenal. (laughs) So yes, looking forward to that. Quote of the week. As people, we often have quotes, mantras or proverbs or affirmations that keep us going when times are good or when times are challenging. Do you have one that you can share with us today? Oh, (laughs) good question. (laughs) I, I wouldn't say I have a mantra. I would say that I am consistent in the fact that if you do good work, more work will come to you. Brilliant. You know, you can ask anyone on my team, they'll say I'm a perfectionist. I'll say, you know, we need to focus on doing one great job because our clients are our best salespeople. Yes. And that's how I like to keep it. I agree 100%. Thank you for that. As we're coming to the end of today's conversation, do you have any closing remarks, any final course to action for people who are interested in the work that you're doing at Wimbart or just interested in PR incomes in Africa in general? Oh, well, people are very welcome to reach out via our website, wimbart.com or find me on LinkedIn. I think it's, you know, it's a fascinating market. I think this is still really early days where we are as well. I do yes. expect Wimbart to grow and to scale and to grow alongside the companies that we're supporting in terms of communications as well. Um, so it's a fascinating market. We're still all learning together, but I think the opportunities are boundless. Fantastic. Thank you for that, Jessica. That was an awesome conversation. Amazing guest first class insights from a first class guest thoroughly enjoyed it thank you for your time today thank you so much for having me Tessa it's a, it's a pleasure and congratulations to you as well for documenting these amazing uh, interesting characters that we find in the Africa space thanks a lot really appreciate it look forward to speaking soon thank you so much take care cheers you too bye bye Thank you to everyone who has listened and stayed tuned to the podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share or tell a friend about it. You can also rate, review us in Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your podcast. Thank you and see you next week for the Unlocking Africa podcast.